Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. Welcome back to the Dream Mason Podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. And I am really enjoying, and I say it with a sigh because it hasn't been easy and it hasn't been always comfortable, but I have really been enjoying these podcasts that I've been doing on race, privilege, and inclusion. Uh, I've got to talk to people that are friends. I got to talk to people that I love. I got to talk to my coach. It's weird how I did that because my coach I love and I consider him a friend. But uh, I've really got to have some really powerful conversations with people about these topics that I've never got to have before. I never even thought to have, which is something that was like totally in my blind spot. Um, And I feel like the more I do this, I don't know how it's impacting you as a listener, but for me as the person being involved, I'm becoming more empathetic. I'm becoming more caring. My heart is more open, but it's also having me want to show up differently with people that don't see everything from the viewpoint of this like people that are more triggered by these conversations people that get more defensive like i'm actually wanting to open my heart up to them and hear them and listen to what they have to say so if you're listening and you are enjoying this thank you and i would love to hear from you on it but this is uh this has been great for me personally and i hope that it's having that impact on you as a listener and i want to say i'm doing the work to bring more and more conversations in so i'm reaching out you know um i yesterday spoke with a former police officer of 12 years who's a biracial man who was a police officer for 12 years and now he teaches courses on uh like police work and conflict so he like sits on both sides of like the kind of a lot of the conversation that's going on. And I'm, I'm looking for people of different, you know, who identify as, as whatever gender they want to identify as, maybe not male or female, um, people that are maybe trans or, or identify as a queer, but I'm really looking for new perspectives. So if you're listening and you're like, oh, I have something to say, I have something to share, my perspective is unique, I'd love to hear from you. I would love to talk about what it would look like for you to be on here. I know it can be a vulnerable conversation and scary, but I think it's one that the world needs to hear. And if this is the first time you're listening to these conversations on race, privilege, and inclusive inclusivity, my intention here is to, to not this is not the, I'm not posing this as facts. I'm not posing this as the truth. These are experiences. Um, So many people are out in the world saying, you know, the news we watch and the influences we have are the truth. They're not. There's very little truth that we often see. There's a lot more opinion posed as truth. And I want to remind you, my guests are not here to speak for, you know, all gays or all blacks, or they're just sharing their experience and what it's like to be them. And that's my intention. 
to bring people on to share what it's like to be them because we can't know. I can only know the experience of being a, of being me, the way that life has worked for me and the way life hasn't worked for me. That's my perspective. And we live in a world with 9 billion perspectives. And my hope is that in listening and hearing and having people share their stories, that by hearing and seeing the ways, understanding the way someone else sees the world, you can open up your consciousness and be more kind, more compassionate, more loving, more understanding to the fact that reality looks different for all of us and occurs different for all of us. So to place our reality on someone else, not only is unfair, it's not, it's not right and it's not actually realistic. My guest today is, she's, you know, I got to meet her. I was talking to someone I know and I said, hey, do you know anyone that has a powerful voice that would be a great fit for this conversation? And my friend said, oh my God, I know this woman. She would be great. And I didn't know her and I was introduced to her and we had some great conversations and I, I'm really excited to dig into this with her. She is an ontologically trained coach. She comes from a background of corporate America and biotech. She also is a creative. She was in theater and fashion and music. She's now creating conversations about anti-racism, diversity and inclusion herself. She's recently created a racial healing workshop, which is an ongoing um, workshop that she's doing. So you're gonna get more information on that and how you can participate in that. She is also a mom, a single mom with two kids. So you're, I'm already like, man, she's doing a lot. And then now I add that on. She, she is biracial and she, her family is mixed. It's really important for her to create um, safe spaces to talk about race. And that's, that's my hope is that that's what we're going to do here. And that's what we're doing for people that are listening. This is also her first podcast. So I think that's also fun. You know, a lot of times people are on a million things are saying the same thing everywhere, but I feel like I get the exclusive first because we're probably going to see her in many other places soon. Jillian Lindsay, thanks for being here. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me. That's a beautiful intro. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I know, I know it takes something to come on a show like this and have this conversation. Um, I've started, I, I, I know we want to, there's something specific I want you, you want to start with and I want you to start with, but the first, I just want to ask you, even before we say that, um, you know, as a white male asking people of color and of different genders and, and sexual orientations to come, Hey, talk about what it's, it's kind of awkward and weird. And I want to be like not offensive and I want to be gentle. I just am curious before we get to that, that next thing that we want to do, what's it like on the other side of that to be asked? You know, um, I really love what you said in your intro about there being 9 billion people in the world and there being 9 billion different experiences. Um, we all have a unique experience and the opportunity to um, share my experience and then through that experience, us to see our commonality um, in terms of the things that we all want uh, in life. Um, is really a is really a privilege. Um, so you know, for me, any time that I have an opportunity to just share um, a little bit about myself and my background, and have that resonate with other people, even it's some piece of it, and that opens something up for them, is um, is is the reason why I do this work and why I'm open to having these conversations. I love that you just said the commonalities because it's something that I, and I'm like, oh man, I forgot, I forgot about that part. And not like a, 
it, it that is true, right? The more we, we open up and we learn about each other, the more we find out that we're similar, not different. Um, yeah, exactly. I know you wrote, you shared with me that you wrote a poem that really shares your experience and that's relevant to this topic. Um, Will you share that now? And it would be a great way to actually get deeper into understanding who you are. Yeah, I would love to. Um, it's it's uh, an exercise that I, I use in the workshop. <clears throat> it's called a Who I Am, I Am poem. And um, it, it's an opportunity for people to take a look at their own cultural identity and their own upbringing. And it, it's important because um, even white people in this country, in America, um, have different cultural backgrounds. If your parents immigrated from Germany or from Italy or whatever, however you came to this country, there are certain, you know, uh, traditions and, and, and things that were passed down in your family that are part of your identity. And so for me and my upbringing, um, I want to share that. So the Who I Am, I Am poem uh, tells a little bit about my, me, and it's a great starting place. So Who I Am, I Am. Knock, knock, who's there? A 10-year-old girl holding a watchtower in a wake magazine. My schoolmates are out playing, but I am here on a hot Saturday afternoon to save your life. The man that holds my hand is black, though later you may see me in the grocery store holding the hand of a petite blonde woman. Just mom and dad to me. Trips to Detroit, soul food Sundays with my cousins, roller skating, jazz. Richard Pryor records playing in the background while the kids watch The Wiz. Holidays spent in Mount Pleasant. Eggnog with nutmeg. A Christmas tree on every floor. Eating shrimp cocktail. Circling the legs of crisply dressed adults and sitting next to Uncle Orr, who loves me now, but apparently many years ago, didn't understand why Sue was marrying that nig... Black fellow. What box do I check? White, black, or other? Who would call themselves an other? I check white and black. I'm told I can't do that. So sometimes I just check white and sometimes I just check black. 35 years later, boxes say multiracial. The country used to have a law called the one drop rule. One drop of black blood meant you were black. Good thing that's not a law anymore now that we have ancestry.com to shake the family tree. No, just because you're 0.5% black doesn't mean you qualify for a minority business loan. How tempting to be black when it's convenient, when it's cool, when it's fun, but not when you want to go for a jog or play in the park or drive down the street or just sit in your house on the couch and watch TV or sleep safely in your bed at night. But the laws, the rules always change. 35 years later, boxes say multiracial. Am I white, black, multiracial? What about human? But the world has decided that I am black and what that means. So knock, knock, who's there? A black woman who understands how race has divided us from our humanity. People in the world seem to be out playing business as usual, but I am here. I am here to save my life. That's the end. So, <clears throat> you know, I wrote this poem from a place of 
really wanted to emphasize how important the conversation is to have around race because people's lives are at stake. And I'm also very present to how I present as a light-skinned Black woman and how when I walk into a room of mostly white people, whether it's at work, whether it was in school, or even within the coaching industry right now, which is primarily white, there's always a bit of, um, you know, legitimizing of, of who I am, of knowing that I'm going to have to navigate, you know, certain assumptions about what I'm capable of, about my intellect, a bit of proving that I have to do as a person of color. And this is an experience that many, many Black people have. And it's something that is in a blind spot. And it's a, it's a bit of the, something that a lot of white people are not really present to, that that exists. Um, so this poem is, is a bit about that. And I, I present it in the workshop. And then I, and then I ask people, you know, what, what they were connected to from the poem or what, what opened up for them from that. It's really beautiful. Um, I was, I was conflicted because I'm sitting here and I wanted to like take notes on things that were popping up for me, but I also wanted to just be present. And, uh, I did a little of both, but first of all, it's beautiful. Um, I'm going to actually just answer the question that you said because you posed it. The first thing that, that really jumped out to me, which I just didn't know. And it's funny, I was a, I was a U.S. history major in college with an emphasis on social problems in U.S. history. So I did a lot of studying of slavery, African-American history, and especially in, in Native American history. And maybe I slept through it, maybe it didn't exist, but I had never heard of the one drop rule. Um, and that was like, like one of the, I like wrote that down. I was like, oh my, like that is, first of all, that's, you know, I'll, I'll my, what I think the reason it connected to me, and I hope my mom doesn't, isn't upset that I share this, but um, so my dad is Italian Catholic. My mom is Jewish. And when my mom learned about the Holocaust when she was young, she was so terrified of this, the Holocaust, that it could happen again, that she decided that she wanted to marry someone who wasn't Jewish to have babies with someone so that they would be less Jewish. And then if their kids had babies with someone who wasn't Jewish, they'd be less Jewish. And about two or three generations, the kids wouldn't be Jewish anymore. I don't know where the, the like how many times, but, um, and she told me this as an adult. I never, you know, I never knew this and I never identified really with religion. Um, but that stuck out to me as like the, it's that same thing, right? Like she wanted to like get rid of it because of mm -hmm. the fear that she had. And you weren't speaking to it as fear, but as an identifying thing, um, that just really stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, like, well, what you're pointing to actually did happen in Australia. I mean, there was, you know, do, do some research there. That there's been documentaries made about it, but there was a, a project to assimilate the Aboriginal uh, Indigenous people in, in Australia, the Aborigines, into white Australian life mm -hmm. through marriage and through uh, you know, um, having children and then integrating them, marrying them again and having children until they were, there was no more blackness, if you will, mm. left of them. And <clears throat> even within the black community <clears throat> and here in America, um, there was a time when 
you know, if you were white passing, um, this is something that's talked about uh, in some of um, in some black literature. I, ha I have a friend who's actually written a play about it. Um, you would leave your black family and you would go pass in the white world so that you could have a, a better life and just disown the part of you that was black, disown your entire black family. And, you know, the pain and division, um, what that caused for people to walk away from everyone that they knew because that was an opportunity for them to have a better life. I mean, that's what has existed. So I actually, you know, I, I can identify with where your mother's coming from because that's, that's how much we value whiteness. I mean, this is, this is why we're talking, having this conversation because the country that we're living in, it's like that it's the white supremacist ideology where, where white is right and anything not white is less than or even wrong. And what can we do to actually shift that since we're all humans sharing this earth and we all want the same thing. And for me, it's like I grew up in a community where I had black people that loved me and white people that loved me and I felt safe and I felt seen and I felt valued. And so I know in my heart that that type of, of, of unity is possible. And um, I realize that not everybody has had that experience. So I, I feel a little bit privileged that I have been able to, you know, be part of my my black family share in that part of my culture and then also be with my white family and share in that part of my culture um and so you know for me i see it i see all the possibility right and and i know it's if there's gonna it's gonna take some work right i mean this is not like a one and done type of type of conversation. This is uh, going to require people to look and go back in again and again and do some education and really think about the kind of world that we want to create and what we can do, what actions we can take on to make that happen uh, in our lifetime and certainly for our children. And that's what I think about is the kind of world that I want my kids to grow up in. You shared something in, in the poem about your uncle on your mom's side. And, you know, the, the, what you alluded to pretty directly wasn't actually like, was right, right, or like a racist ideology or tendency on that side. I'm curious, because I think one of the things is, there's like the overt racism that we see. There's like kind of the, the people that fall somewhat in the middle that are like, they're not, they wouldn't say anything. They, they, they don't think they're racist but they don't necessarily see that racism that exists in the world. And I think there's a lot of those people that fall in the middle. And then there's people like, if, if I'm just making three categories, right, it's not that simple, but and there's people on the, on the other side who are actively acknowledging it, aware, working to change it, want it to be different. And I'm curious with like, within just your experience with your family, What's gone on with the, the dynamics that were more overtly racist or even the sides that maybe were in the middle? Like, how is that, yeah. like, what have you seen there? What experience been like? I mean, you know, here's the thing is it's like, you know, my parents met in college and um, they, didn't, they didn't get together right away. Um, my dad actually, you know, kind of hit on my mother all semester long. They would reflect <laughs> like, <laughs> and she kept turning him down, turning him down. And then when she finally did go out with him, he was kind of like a jerk. <laughs> and, and, uh, 
Uh, they, like yeah, I love that guy, happens, right? He's so yeah. persistent, and then he's a jerk. <laughs> he's a, and and he was he was kind of like a cat, and um, so my and so they they didn't get together, but then they ended up um, uh, a few years later. My mother, you know, they both work for the the state of Michigan. My mother is is a um, a social worker, and my dad was a licensing consultant for the state, and they and they and they stepped on the same elevator together. My mother stepped on the same the elevator my father was on, and you know, they started talking and, and my father had, um, in the interim became a Jehovah's witness, which is a whole nother dynamic, uh, around my upbringing. Um, but, um, you know, he, he and my mother started dating again and she converted and became a Jehovah's witness, um, for, for a time. And then, and then she left, she, she did leave the religion, but they stayed married together. Um, but, but to address what you said, you know, my mother's family, um, weren't accepting of my father initially. They were they were very concerned. I mean, this was you know the late '60s, and my mother was marrying a black man. Um, in in most parts of the country down south, interracial marriage was still illegal. So uh, just putting some context around it, um, no, they weren't they weren't very happy. But once they did get to know my father, that shifted. And certainly by the time that my brother and I came into the picture, there was a, there was a huge shift and. I felt, you know, very loved and accepted. And, you know, that's what happens, Alex, right? It's like when you get to know people without all of the stereotypes and without all of the, uh, uh, the things that society puts on us that tells us what to believe about people from another race or culture or background, you get to just experience them as people. You can connect with them. And, um, and we connect to our humanity and you just see them as, as a person. And I, I feel like that's, that's essentially what happened um, within my family. And, um, but I, like, again, like I, I feel really lucky and, and blessed that I had that experience. And my parents are incredible people. Um, my dad is an amazing man and I have so much love and respect for both of them. Um, but I think that, yeah, for, for some people, um, it's, it's very challenging to get over the racism that's taught and like, we're not born to be this way. This is something that is, that is taught to us. And, it, and it's why sort of understanding what's needed and having the conversations around dismantling racism is so important because it is very subtle. It, it is very overt. Black history is not taught in schools. It's taught as an elective. Our whole educational system is, 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 you know, centered on, white history and the white understanding of history and you know slavery is relegated to a paragraph or you know talking about what black people did during black history month and it's not really given the attention so there's like a, a real huge misunderstanding around um what black people have gone through in this country and the the things that they have done um that have been very progressive and um um, self creating self-sustaining communities like in Tulsa, like in Greenwood, like in Rosewood, um, many other places. And then how that was destroyed by, you know, white, the white people that were in power at that time, because they were threatened by seeing black people actually begin to create communities for themselves and not be subservient any longer. And 
you know, that's part of this dynamic that we have to discuss because essentially all of us being able to be responsible and take ownership of ourselves and live our lives is what is going to create a better community and a better world for all of us. Um, so anyway, I'm, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but there's so much, there's so much, um, there's so many things people can do in there. I know it's, you know, when I learned about Tulsa and what I learned about it's like black wall street, it was like how black I, wall first, street. How I yeah. first heard about it. And I went and I learned about this in my thirties and went, how did I not know that there was this community in, in the middle of the country, basically, that was like a thriving black community that basically, I mean, for lack of a better word, there was like a war declared on that community by the white community and basically burned it down. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of, I mean, I don't, I don't want to pretend to be an expert on this, right? But, and I went through all this American history and never was aware of this. And, and I, and I actually learned in my thirties, you, you made me think of something I had this first thought and it took till I was in my 30, 30 years, right, to think of this, which was, oh my God, almost all history is, is taught through the lens that you're saying of low, like, I don't even want to call it white. It's like the Western European and which is predominantly white, but the history of the Americas would be very different if Native Americans told what the, the history was, right? And the history of, you know, um, conquest, in, in Muslim countries or India would be very different if we were reading. And history really is simply a perspective that is mm -hmm. so, especially in this country, I can't speak to other countries, I don't know, but in this country is so kind of tunnel vision. And I think the, the unfortunate thing, first off, we're just, you know, we, we claim there's this thing that we're the greatest country in the world, this like illusion, right? I don't even know how you measure what the greatest country in the world would be. But to me, it, it's, it's sad because how can we be that when we relegate a giant portion of what this country is to we like make it invisible or not existent or keep it down? Yeah, there's a huge disconnect there um, because there's a lot of American values that are tremendous. And, you know, our founding fathers, um, apart from the slavery thing, um, their vision for the country was uh, really admirable in, in wanting to give people the opportunity, right? The pursuit of um, um, happiness, freedom. What? The pursuit of happiness, liberty, happiness. Uh, you're gonna have to correct me on that. We'll I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't. I don't actually. It's know. A, like liberty. I think it's like liberty, justice, and the pursuit of liberty, happiness. justice. Right. It's. I want to say that. Right. The pursuit of liberty, justice, and freedom. Um, you know, is 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 like that's the that's the key right that's what everybody wants and yet what's over there in the background is the what it took to get there which was yeah the slaughter of the first peoples and then enslaving people of color um so there's a there's a huge disconnect there and people don't know they're not educated about that and and so it's easy to to not have it in their in their frame of reference or really in their in their thoughts right as they're just going through their life and and most people are kind of like you know just living thinking about their their immediate needs and what's around them and creating you know a certain you know life for their family and their community and they're not actually paying attention or thinking about what's happening in black and brown communities um 
I want to just say there's, you know, I, we say people of color and that POC, if you see it in print, has always historically has meant colored people, right? First black people, black, a certain other word, N, uh, Negro, and then colored people. And then it became more PC to call people of black people, people of color. But now as the understanding broadens, people of color also include Asians, also includes the Latino population. They are also people of color. And so the, 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 the updated sort of, I guess, politically correct way of, of saying it, if you will, is BIPOC. So B-I-P-O-C, that actually includes black, indigenous, and people of color. So that we're really not losing sight of the, all the experiences of, of what, what's happened in this country. So it's including the indigenous people as well as black people. And, I, and that's definitely a part of the conversation around racial dynamics. Yeah, I love that you brought that in because when we go through, you know, I, I kind of sometimes think of like American, like America as a, if you would just say it's a human being, like there is no human being that's perfect, right? We've all made mistakes. And the difference is, I, I, what I love about a human being is a human being that acknowledges the mistakes they've made. They actually can say they're sorry, they can apologize, they can learn, they can do things different. I don't know, I'm not gonna speak to whether that is America or not, but when I look at, you know, you brought in other cultures and as I was thinking, as you were telling the story of like where America was built, it wasn't just built there. I mean, we, the railroads were built by, you know, Asian, Asian Americans that, and so there were Japanese internment camps during World War II and, mm-hmm. and Los Angeles, when Los Angeles was being founded and really developed, it was a highly racist city against yeah. the Latin community. What happened to the Mexicans? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and I I think it's you know, I mean and there's so there's tons of these stories. I want to um I want I really want to come back to you because there's some some interesting things about your experience and your life. Um, it, I, I'm curious, like, would you remember the first time that you like experienced racism that or you felt different or you felt like other or excluded? Like, do you remember that like moment or was there a conversation? Yeah, so that's, it's kind of unique, my background, because growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, um, I grew up in a congregation that was very diverse. And so I didn't um, experience what I would call overt racism. I might have as a child, but for me, it was framed as, you know, people were being stupid. I just, I didn't necessarily associate that it had anything to do with my race. And and any time there was uh, racism that was more overt, it was like one of these problems that God would fix when Armageddon came and God's kingdom came and Jesus returned. And it was part of the sort of the religious uh, teachings and, and, and doctrine that it, it, was, it was one of many problems that God would handle. So it wasn't something I really needed to, to spend time thinking about. Um, but I will share, you know, my father's family is from Little Rock, Arkansas. And I remember, and again, I grew up in Michigan. We were driving down to Arkansas for a family reunion. Um, My mother, my father, my brother, and I. And, you know, my father uh, liked to take the back roads. So we took uh, a pass through, um, I don't remember the town because I was just a child then. I was about seven or eight. Um, 
was somewhere in Tennessee and we pulled off the road to get gas. And I, and my father said all of a sudden, you know, look, ever, duck down, ever, ever duck down. And my mother and my brother and I ducked our heads down below the seat. And my father got out of the car and he got gas. And I remember peeking up because you know how kids, we have to look and see what's going on. And across the street, there was a restaurant, uh, Cousin Carl's Country Kitchen. And it was all spelled with K's. And on the side of the restaurant was a big white KKK. And my father got the gas and we left town and we got back on main roads. My father talked with us briefly about what that meant and what the KKK was. And for the first time, I understood that there are people in the world that hate me just for being black. Um, the way that my father protected us was, I think, raising us in a religion where we were, where we had a different ex experience. And if you know anything about the Jehovah's Witness religion, they really uh, keep themselves separate from the external world. That's part of their belief system. They have a very self-contained community. And so, growing up in that, I really felt a little bit sheltered and protected. Um, when I decided to leave the religion when I was 19, uh, because I didn't really, I didn't really agree that, you know, God was just going to destroy everybody in the world except for Jehovah's Witnesses and a few other good people that, you know, he determined were worth saving. Um, I had a different worldview at, at that time. And I also didn't believe that everybody in the world that wasn't a Jehovah's Witness was necessarily a bad person. Um, I left the religion and didn't really have a framework to understand how the world worked because uh, I had been socialized so differently. Um, so I really struggled and I did experience um, racism from people and I did experience discrimination. Um, and it was, for me, I mean, it's, it's, it's painful and, and, it, and it's hurtful. Um, and I had, I think, already done the work in knowing that people are inherently good and they're taught to behave this way and to believe this way. That's not what's really in their heart. And I still loved people. Like I love, I love people. I mean, our humanity is a beautiful thing that we get this, that this gift of this window to be alive for 70, 80 years, maybe 90 if we're lucky, maybe a hundred if we're really lucky and experience life is such a gift. And I am just so hopeful. And I believe in my heart that at the end of the day, that's where people land. And if they're feeling somewhere, some way differently, that there is a path out of that for them. Um, and, and, and again, I mean, I'm not like, <laughs> I, I don't put myself as the person to like lead the way. I don't have answers. Um, but I, be, I believe and I trust people that if they are um, shown love and they're met with love, that there is a possibility for something else to open up for them. If there's someone that has been closed off or they have been taught something that is actually painful or hurtful, 
about other people. And that's the place that I, I choose to live in that place of possibility. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I can't even imagine, I mean, like that in itself, like, you know, you see movies where, where something like that happens, right? Family in a car, duck down, we need to like something like that. And it, it's different than, you know, we're so desensitized by media, but like, thanks for sharing that story. Like, I can't imagine how terrifying that would be. First of all, to have your parents tell you to hide, basically. Like, why, why do we need to hide? It's like, it's not a game. They're not playing a game with you. But even for your dad, like how scared he must've felt in that moment. Like, you know, as a parent, your job, you think of your job a lot is to protect your children. And sure. yeah, and like in a moment, he could have been in a situation that he had no control over. Um, oh yeah, I'm, I mean, people were getting killed. I mean, that's how people end up disappearing. <laughs> this is yeah. like before the internet, we could have just, you know, you mm-hmm. would have just never heard from the four Lindsays again. Like, what happened to them? Uh, you know, absolutely, it's terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I, and, look, and I think the thing that people don't even, you would be, I would be remiss and people would be ignorant to think that there's not situations like that that still exist. There are still places that you go, you, anyone can go, that are, that would not, I, I don't know that it would be as overt, maybe it would be, I have no idea, I'm not, but that you would not be welcome. Um, and, and different people of different colors or religions wouldn't be welcome. Um, I'm curious about your family now. You know, you're a single mom with two kids. How does racial dynamics come up with your kids? Like, would you talk to them about it? Is, you know, what, I don't know, how, how old are they? What's, what does it look like from that standpoint? Yeah, I mean, my daughter is 10, um, and, um, and her, her father uh, passed away unexpectedly. Um, so I'm raising her as a single parent. Um, and, and, you know, it's, being a single parent is not, not someone anyone plans on being. Um, but, you know, for me to be able to, to play that role in her life um, of, of teaching her and, you know, being that sole voice to really guide her. We have very frank conversations, um, you know, that are age appropriate for her. So she understands who she is, um, that she's important, that she matters, how she thinks and feels is important and it matters and that she has a voice and that she knows how to use it. Um, with my son, who is older, he's 21, he and I have a lot of conversations about race and, and you know, racial dynamics. Um, it's interesting because his father is Irish. And um, just a little quick segue here, when I was making music, I sold a record. Uh, some producers in London bought this record that I made. This is before the internet, so it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> this is before like iTunes and like Spotify, so it's kind of a big deal. Um, so I wanted to, I'd never left the country and I wanted to go meet them. And so I went to London and it was just so crazy. I ended up meeting some other kids and, um, and this is what you did back then. You met different people and they were going to Ireland and so they asked me if I wanted to and they were Nigerian, these Nigerian kids. So we ended up, I ended up going with them, driving through, you know, through Scotland, up north, uh, taking the ferry across Northern Ireland and then down into um, Dublin and just hanging out there and meeting different people. I met my son's father. Um, and so, so he's actually still in Ireland, but 
I moved over there to Ireland with him for a while. And um, he was from a town where an Irish family had adopted two um, black children. So he actually grew up with having two black friends. And so there were not a lot of black people in Ireland back then. I mean, this was, you know, 20, 22 years, 23 years ago. And so, um, but he had, he had, um, you know, he had kind of a unique experience um, in that he, like, there was a lot of racism, but, but not for him. So when we got together and I moved over to Ireland, um, I I made some friends over there and um, I actually felt, uh, I felt really accepted and welcome. And I think people are, they are very, they're, they're tolerant in the sense that um, it's a little bit what I talked about, about the proving, you know, and um, that whole dynamic. Um, But, you know, even though we didn't stay together, um, my son is, um, he, 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 he looks and presents very white. Um, A lot of people don't think that he's black at all. And there are a lot of experiences that I had with him, especially after I split up with his father being back in New York, um, on, the, on, on just traveling around the city where people would think I was his nanny. And it really showed me um, uh, how ignorant that people can be, because uh, he and I look exactly alike. But he doesn't have dark skin. He, do, he, his, he doesn't have really a lot of melanin at all, to be quite honest. Um, and his hair is very straight. And so people make this assumption and it's hurtful that people look at you and they want to categorize you and try to figure out your relationship to the people around you. And they just don't see you as a person first, which is, you know, again, it's the, it's the impetus for having these conversations around race and sharing our experience. Um, you know, because race should be as irrelevant as eye color, right? That's the place where we're trying to get to. Like you've got beautiful brown eyes. Someone else has beautiful blue eyes. You can compliment them and appreciate their unique eye color. And you don't make it mean anything about who they are as a person. It doesn't mean anything about them. You know nothing about them. And that's exactly how skin color should be. Because my skin color is different doesn't mean you know anything about me or who I am, or what I believe, or what I value. And so, um, you know, I see that as, a, as, as the place for us to get to. Um, with my son, you know, he's such an awesome kid. Um, he's very grounded, just a loyal, solid person. I love him. So, I love that kid so much. He's in college right now, and um, he's, he's very aware of um, the fact that most people think that he's white. And he had experiences in school where when we first moved to a new school and he was, you know, making friends with some of the the black students in school, um, they actually didn't believe him. (laughs) And he got bullied a little bit by them. And, you know, he he didn't tell me about it at the time because he knew I would have been pissed. Um, But and I'm like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, oh, no, it was fine. It was fine. He's like, they didn't believe me. But as soon as you came to the school conferences and they saw you, they were like, oh, my God, that's Luke's mom. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, oh, and then what happened? And he said, no, he's like, they like, they actually apologized to me. Like, yeah, they, they like felt really bad. Like they, they like just didn't know. So like there's assumptions, there's assumptions made, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's probably, it's human nature, right? To make a certain level of assumption. Yeah. And this is where like the work has to be done with people just letting go of their preconceived notions about one another and to seeing people as individuals. Um, you know, Alex, you're Italian and, and this popped into my head too about some other racism that Italian Americans, Italians experienced when they first immigrated to this country. And I read about, you know, down south where there were a whole group of Italians that were lynched because they were different. Mm -hmm. um, there is some persecution that's happened uh, because people are different. I mean, this is, you know, we could just go around the world and look at what and, and, and find examples. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's, you said, it's some, yeah. Well, you said something too that it was funny because I noticed where I went. I was waiting for you to tell me that your son, because he looks white and could fit in, uh, like could fit in with white people without knowing, probably experienced racism from hearing things, people thinking like, oh, there's nobody that's of color around. There's no black people around. I could say this thing that maybe I wouldn't say if somebody was of color was sitting here. And that wasn't the way you went. You went to the actual, the uh, like African-American kids were actually, which it's, it was just funny where my mind went. I was like, oh, she's going to tell me a good story about how some white people said some stupid shit in front of her son. And he was like, oh, yeah. And I'm sure that's happened. I'm sure that's happened too. I have, the, I have, a, I have plenty of those stories too. I mean, absolutely. I mean, my son, first of all, you have to know my son to know he will just shut that down immediately. Um, and he has just such a beautiful way of, of talking with people about race and really just breaking down how illogical race and racism is. And, you know, he's, he goes online and he goes in chat rooms and he, he t tells me about just how unaccepted it is, which gives me a lot of hope for the young people. Like when kids say things and make comments about people of other races, how much, um, backlash they get uh in in some of the online communities because the kids just don't they just don't believe that way anymore a, a lot of young people they were not taught that you know if you look at what's happening with the protests you see all these young people who are in, um are out here supporting black lives matter and who are educating themselves on what's happened in this country because they just don't think why why am i judging this person because they're different from me because they're black or they're latino like intuitively it doesn't make sense for them and um my son has always been very upfront about his background like he tells people that i'm mixed you know that my mom is black that my dad is white and he wears it you know with he with pride um and you know i i just i love that about him he will get into a conversation with anyone around race and uh and you know just you know hold, hold his own there um and and all of his friends of course i mean they wouldn't be his friends otherwise are 100 like very like you know um they're, they're educated about about race and uh through my son's um experience and friendship with them um so all, all of his friends that I've met have been, you know, really good people. And we've, he's always had a very diverse group of friends as well. So, um, yeah, so no like horror stories, Alex, but. Well, I, but I was yeah. really, I was just noticing too, where, right, where we make assumptions all the time, right, about everything constantly, 24-7, and like I was chuckling in my head. It was like, oh, it's interesting that you went that way. Like, like just noticing where my mind went without having any information. And I think that in itself is 
being willing to be aware of where our mind goes because our mind thinks thoughts constantly that aren't true, but often we let our minds ramble with those or go on with those instead of getting them in check and becoming aware of them and like actually not letting those random thoughts that show up be in control. I, um, I want to talk a little before we wrap up. I just want you to tell us about like your, the racial healing workshop, like how, you know, what the philosophy behind it is, what's the difference you're hoping to make, um, and what kind of people should be like signing up for this? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so the, the racial healing workshop is essentially, um, it's a safe space for people to come and, and talk about um, racial dynamics. And it's like what you alluded to from the beginning, 9 billion people, we all have different experiences. And, you know, right now, there's a need for this conversation. People want to be more involved. People are sort of waking up to the systematic institutionalized racism that exists in our country. A lot of people didn't know that, you know, the, that our modern day police force actually originated with slave patrols with deputizing you know, white men back in the time of slavery to catch runaway slaves. That was the first time in our country when, when, we, when we created a um, police force. And if we look at that systemic racism, how that has carried, carried forth into today, I mean, the, these, these, these points are important for people to know. So in the racial healing workshop, we talk about, um, you know, there's a, a, a little, education, a few pieces, some foundation setting. Uh, but, you know, really it's a place for people to come and ask questions and be curious and, and examine their relationship to race and do it in a way where there's not um, blame and shame and, and, and guilt and judgment. It's just people having the space to talk about their, their feelings and their thoughts, get that out and then look at from that place sort of what they want to do differently or what they're willing to take on. And, and again, it's a process. It's like one of, of many conversations that need to happen. But the purpose is to raise people's awareness and get them talking, get them in a conversation around race and how they're being, get them curious, get them connected. Um, and it is, it is uncomfortable, right? And so people, there, there is a bit of, um, um, Sometimes I think defensiveness and people are you know, really trying to like, you know, figure out how this makes sense because it's so opposite to what society has taught them for so many years. So, so this is more white people coming into the conversation and, and all people are welcome. So BIPOC people as well. But for them, the conversation is a little bit different because most of them are already educated. I mean, they're living the experience of, of having, uh, of, of being in this, in this society. And so the benefit for them is if they want to come and share and add their experience, um, if they want to come and listen um, all of that is encouraged, welcome. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want people of color or BIPOC people that join the conversation to feel like they have to do the emotional labor of educating people about what white privilege is, or we don't get into to conversations and debate, you know, uh, things like all lives matter. Uh, I mean, Black lives matter. And this is, this is what we need to be talking about right now in the country, given what's happened with the police brutality uh, in the recent cases that have been in the news, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and all of the others that have happened over the past few years. We've reached kind of a, a tipping point. And um, so I'm, I'm 
I'm very called to create a space for people to get into this conversation. And um, yeah, and it'll get messy and people will feel bad, sure. Um, the, the intention is not to like help people feel better, um, yeah. but to distinguish their feelings and realize that they might feel a whole lot worse before they do feel better. But that means that they're feeling more. And that's really important because getting in touch with our feelings and being honest and being with what we've experienced and who we've been and how we've been is a place where we can look at how we want to be different. I love it. And it's, it's so, we, we all forget that when we were young, there was this thing called growing pains and yeah. any form of growing there's pain involved, right? Like, I don't care what it is. You want to fix your marriage and you want to sit down with a marriage counselor with your partner. There's going to be some uncomfortable, difficult conversations. You want to get stronger at the gym. You're going to have to do something with weights or exercise that makes you uncomfortable and causes pain. And if we want to get better with each other as humans, we have to do the same thing, whether it's about race or religion, um, you know, or, or any of our differences, uh, Jillian, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for, you know, the, the stand that you're taking for human beings, for like wanting people to care more, to love more, to, to be more compassionate with each other, to heal uh, things that need to be healed. Um, thanks for being a mom who clearly cares so much about her kids uh, and sounds like she's raising some awesome kids. Um, I, I really want to I just acknowledge you and appreciate your your vulnerability. You know, this isn't a, you don't have to have this conversation. You live the experience, like you said. Um, but thanks for the vulnerability and the willingness to to share your life and your experience on a platform that other people can see you and hear you um, and know what it's like to live the life you've lived. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Alex. And, you know, if I can just put one more thing in around uh, the conversation around race and um, racial dynamics is that, you know, there is a lot of unknown and uncertainty about what needs to change um, in order to really address and heal racism in our society and a lot of uncertainty about how that will impact our lives and what it will look like. And, you know, I encourage people that... Um, we don't have to be victims of the unknown, right? We're in the conversation so that we can declare what that unknown is going to be, so that we can participate in creating what that future will look like. And that's really what I want people to walk away from, uh, from, from the, the workshop series and from the conversations around race, is really seeing themselves as an active participant and being able to shape what our what, what our world will look like for ourselves and for our future generations. I didn't ask you yet, but how do people sign up or even just find out more information about you and or the workshop? What's the best way? Yeah. Thank you. Um, I do have a website, jillianlindsaycoaching.com. And um, the next workshop is uh, uh, going to be, th there's going to be a series of workshops. Um, it's, June 19th. I know you said the podcast may not be out before then. Um, there'll be another one in July. And the workshop series is beginning July 15th. And um, I have a Facebook page. 
I have a racial healing workshop page and <laughs> I'm actively looking for a social media manager because I am like with between Instagram and Facebook and all of these different access points for people um, just to make sure that the messaging gets out there. Um, so right now I think the main, the main place is probably just my website and I'm happy for anyone to reach out and answer any questions and hear feedback and what people you know want to have in the conversation, whatever they want to add and bring. I'm, I'm all for creating that. Awesome. Well, thank you again for sharing your yourself, your life, your experiences with us here today. Um, you know, I got to learn some. I'm, I'm always, you know, I can't, I can never, I never know what as an audience you all are are hearing and listening and learning and experiencing. So for me, I'm just like, am I getting value? And and thank you for just providing so much value and experiential experiential information. I feel like I learned some new things, but I actually just got to see life differently. So thanks again, Jillian, for being here and sharing that with us. Uh, and everyone listening, please, you know, I hope this makes a difference for you. I hope this opens your eyes up, uh, brings a little more compassion, love, openness to your life and your perspective. And please share this. If something resonated with you from this, please share it with somebody who needs to hear it. Um, but please just share it because we probably all need to hear it. Thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.